Would the Second Kings chapter nine and then close your Bibles? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> How many of you this morning honestly thought, "What is he doing?" <laughs> I've never done that before. I tell you to open your Bibles to a passage and say, "Okay, now close them." Second <laughs> Kings chapter nine. We, for several several weeks, uh, actually several months, have been looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And I, I, tr- I hope and pray uh, that it has been a blessing to you as much as it has been to me. I have learned much about myself through their lives. And I, I, I hope it's been a blessing to you. I trust it has. Um, but tonight we're gonna we're gonna end that series where, where uh, Elisha is gonna uh, be taken home uh, and head to heaven. So that kind of kind of ends the study on these two men's lives. <clears throat> I wanna I wanna say something, but I, I wanna be very careful how I say it. So <clears throat> please understand the intent of what I'm about to say. All right, hold on. I think the thing's possessed. Um, You know, oftentimes, God brings people into our lives uh, for reasons. And... One of the reasons God brings people into our lives is to influence our lives. Uh, I, I have many men, uh, particularly, well, women too, but in the context of what we're talking here, I've had many men uh, throughout my years of being saved now that have influenced my life uh, to get me to where God has me now. Does that make sense? And, and these, these, these men in my life uh, are important to me. And, and, and hopefully there have been men in your life as well. And <clears throat> some of these men are here in Scripture. Uh, Elijah and Elisha are two of them, these men. Uh, God has, through the years, I've heard many, many, many sermons. I've read I've read. Uh, the stories of their lives multiple times, and they have influenced my life. But we have human influences in our lives as well. And we need to... I want to be care- Again, I want to be careful how I say this. We need to allow these people to influence our lives, but at the same time, we need not idolize them either. Does, does that make sense? We we live in a in a world and a culture that <clears throat> can get so consumed with following a man that we forget to follow Jesus Christ. Now, these men and women can be great influences in, in our lives, but they should never replace the Lord in our lives. The truth be told, 
And I've said this before, and every, pretty much every time I say this, <clears throat> I, I, I get chewed out all the way home. See, John, I'm the, I'm not, you're not the only one who gets chewed out all the way home. <clears throat> I, <laughs> I feel very inadequate as a pastor. I have for 10 years, and I hope... I do for another 10 years. Because the day that I do not feel inadequate, then pride has taken over. Now, I say that I'm going to get chewed out because my wife said, thinks that every time I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm um, what's the word? Uh, I'm being too critical of myself. And, and, and sometimes I am, but I hope you understand the context of what I'm saying here. I understand what Paul says when in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, says, Brethren, I count not myself to ha- have apprehended, but this, thing, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth to those things which are before. <clears throat> I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. In Christ Jesus, uh, what I, I believe, what Paul was saying there is, look, he's saying he starts off by saying, "Brethren, I have not, I, I, I count not myself to have apprehended." I, I believe what Paul is saying is, I, I, I don't have all the answers. I, 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 I haven't figured it all out. But this one thing I have figured out: I am going to run to Jesus Christ. And over the 10 years that Grace Baptist Church has been here, I have made a bazillion, is that even a word, a number? A bazillion, is a bazillion a word? A number? Okay, it is now, yes. Uh, I have made made bazillions of mistakes as a pastor. But this one thing I know is I'm just going to get up. Every time I make a mistake, I'm going to get up and I'm going to just keep running toward Jesus Christ. And that is that needs to be at the heart of every believer. Because the reality is, you are going to let people down. You are going to make mistakes. And what Paul is saying here, I believe what Paul is saying here is, you know what? <clears throat> I'm just going to keep running to Jesus Christ and, and you need to run with me. Don't, don't idolize me because I, I, I am I'm nothing. But just run with me and we'll run together. I believe that's what Paul's saying. 2 Kings chapter 9. Let's start reading in verse 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest hither, uh, look out there, uh, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of uh, Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil 
and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your love. And uh, Lord, I just ask as we bring this study to an end tonight that you would speak to our hearts, that you would continue to use the lives of Elijah and Elisha in our lives to bring us closer to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's an interesting exchange here. Elisha is, is passing, if you would, the baton of ministry. Okay, uh, he's not dying here, but he's passing the baton of ministry. We don't know. We can assume that God has said, okay, Elisha, I have something else for you to do. It's time for you to pass this part of your life on to someone else. He finds a young Bible college student of one of the sons of the prophets. And he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go take this oil uh, go anoint Jehu to be the next king. Now, why do you think he told him, once you do it, skedaddle? Anybody? Jehoshaphat was still alive. And <clears throat> even though Jehoshaphat was a good king, Jealousy is always a big problem, especially in the military. And as soon as, okay, so, so if, put yourself in this setting. Here you are, you're, 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 you're with your military. They're, they're on the battlefield. A prophet comes in carrying a box of oil. What do you use oil for on a battlefield? Anointing. That's the only purpose for it. They then take him into his inner chamber and anoint him with this oil. What do you think is going to happen as soon as all of the generals realize what just took place? They're going to assume a coup is going to take place. And what is the general's responsibility to the sitting king? To protect him. So Jehu's Life is going to be instantly in danger. The prophet's life is instantly in danger. And he tells him, and, and because the message tonight is on Elisha and not the story of Jehu, we're just going to skip over it. You can go back and read what happens. But <clears throat> Jehu, uh, 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 the prophet tells Jehu to go and eliminate all the descendants of Ahab. They, they were, all of his children and grandchildren, everybody are still in the kingdom and they're causing problems within the kingdom. And God says, okay, Jehu, go and take them out. They're done. Jezebel is about to meet her maker. And all of this is in the story. You can go back and read it. <clears throat> but for the, the, for the context of the message tonight, we're not going to go down that road right now. The most important, the, the, the emphasis that I'm trying to get to is, is Elisha is now passing the baton of ministry. 
The title of my message is <clears throat> Elisha's Ministry is Complete. Elisha's Ministry is Complete. Elisha disappears from uh, 2 Kings chapter 9. He basically disappears <clears throat> from our eyesight, if you would, for at least 45 years. Okay? Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 36, it, it, it says, And the time of Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 20 and 8 years. Okay, so you have 28 years of the king of Jehu. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In, in the uh, uh, 3 and 20th year of uh, Joash, the son of uh, Ahaziah, the king of Judah, Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel uh, in Samaria and reigned 17 years. So if you take 28 and 17, add them together, you end up with 45 years. So we know that Elisha, from what we can see, disappears for 45 years. We hear nothing else of Elisha for at least 50 years. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 10, it says, In the 30 and 7th year of Joash, king of Judah, became, uh, began Jehoash, uh, the son of uh, Jehoazah, uh, to reign over Israel or Israel in Samaria and reign 13 years. So in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 10, we see that uh, 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 the, uh, uh, Joash is the king of Judah. Okay, this, this will make sense in a little bit. So we see that Joash becomes the king of of Judah. We know at least a 45 year span of time has taken place. So, look at verse 14. Oh, excuse me, chapter 13. Turn over to chapter 13. I knew I was missing something. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. And Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down uh, unto him and wept over uh, his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now, <clears throat> the... the the question then becomes, what, what was Elijah doing over this period of time? What, most of the theologians that I read said it was closer to 50 years than to 45, but it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> what was he doing? We, we don't know. Uh, most, most of the theologians that I read speculate that he was teaching in the seminary, if you would, the, the, the school of the prophets. Uh, most, most of them believe that he was doing that. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, most believe that he did have some sort of a public ministry, but it was pretty low-key. 
most likely, whatever he was doing, he was pouring his life into people. How do we know that? Anybody got an idea how we would know that whatever Elisha was doing, he was pouring his life into, into someone else? Any, any guesses? I'm sorry? I, I, I can't hear. Okay, that's what Elijah did, and, and, and he was his mentor. Okay, that's good. But the reality is this very simple principle. Anybody who is right with God will always pour their lives into others. Period. God has not called us to become monks. God has called us to serve people. That's what God has called us to do. Called us to, well, worship Him, but to serve. So we can assume that whatever Elisha was doing was off the main the mainstream, but he was still influencing the lives of others. It is sad when a giant of the faith passes. I know, buddy. I hate it when that happens. <clears throat> um, I, as I was as I was studying this and and thinking of the passing of Elijah, almost immediately, uh, <clears throat> a few of you will know who I'm talking about. Who do you think popped into my mind? Pastor Ranspot. In my eyes, in my eyes. Pastor Ranspot was a giant of the faith. He, he poured his life into mine. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was, he asked me before he died if I would, if I would preach his funeral. And I, I, I was so horrified with the thought of preaching a pastor's funeral that I, I almost got sick. I was so, so upset that for whatever reason, God had taken him away because he had become so important to me. The prophet was a man of impeccable character. And God was... <clears throat> had used Elijah and Elisha in, in some really, really great ways. I came across a quote. I, I, have, I don't know the source of it, uh, but it says, God buries his workers, but the work goes on. And <clears throat> we hate to see the passing of the torch, so to speak. But the ministry is not about any person. It is about Jesus Christ. This church is not about any person other than Jesus Christ. This is his church, not ours. We need to understand and, and, and <clears throat> 
try and wrap our heads around the fact that God puts men and women in places and uses them and then takes them away. As I have, <clears throat> excuse me, as I pondered the transition of life, I thought long and hard about this transition right here. That when we started, the, the verse that we read, Elisha was passing the torch, if you would, to a younger prophet. And he gave him direction. He said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Here are the, here are the tools to do it. Now go do it. As a pastor, I get all sorts of emails and and, and, and magazines and, and articles, and I get stuff all the time. And one of the things that I get a lot of is information about church growth and church decline. Does anybody have a clue of how many churches were started? Now, I'm talking churches. This is every, every kind of church from everything that you can imagine that that is that is recordable do you have any idea how many churches started in the United States last year anybody just take a guess 40,000 okay not even close 1,000 Now, what is happening with the population of the United States? It's growing. 1,000 churches started in the United States last year. Anybody have a clue how many churches closed their doors last year? Okay, you said 5,000, 2,000. Anybody else? 4,000. We got a problem. We got a problem. Now, within those statistics, <clears throat> I do not know how many of those churches closed because they do not have pastors. You travel more than we do, obviously. <laughs> a lot of churches out there have no pastors. Do you see that? I have a friend in North Carolina who became the senior pastor of a church. That church had gone for at least three years without a pastor. The church was down to just a, just a handful. Beautiful facility. But the auditorium probably seats five, six hundred people. Sunday school rooms. I mean basketball court. I, I, I mean, just, it's just an incredible facility. I'm down to probably four, four or five families. Part of the problem is we're not raising young people to be ministry-minded. We, we are raising our children to be career-oriented people. 
every person that, it, that receives Jesus Christ, every believer in Jesus Christ, should at least at one time consider ministry. What we, what we call ministry. And, and I'm not talking... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, there, there's no age limit on that. I just, as I was reading the story when, when Elisha passed the, the, the torch, if you would, to this young prophet, we, we don't know who it was. My first thought, well, praise God, there was a young man there to take the torch. Elisha had faithfully served God and it was time for God to take him home. But, and I love this, he had one more lesson to teach. He had, he had one more lesson to teach. <clears throat> Hold on, I just I just lost my notes here. In verse in verse fourteen that we read a moment ago. Uh, oh, did I? I never gave you point number one, did I? I'm sorry. Point number one is Elijah goes home. <clears throat> Eli, uh, point number two is uh, King Joash. Well, let's talk about King Joash here for a few minutes. He obviously was a student of history. Do you, do you recognize what he said to Elisha on his deathbed? Look at verse 14 again. Now Elisha was fallen sick, and of, of his sickness whereof he died, and Joash the king of Israel came unto him and wept over him, uh, over his face, and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Do you recognize that phrase? That is the exact same phrase that Elijah said when God called Elijah home. So obviously the king was a, was a student of history. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, it's, and Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the, chariots of, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. It is apparent in verse 14 that the king is very grieved at the passing of Elijah, or Elisha, excuse me. But he makes a critical error. He implies, and please get this because this, this is important. He implies that the blessings of Israel will pass away when Elisha dies. Let's read <clears throat> Elisha's final lesson that he's going to teach in his life. Verse 15, And Elisha said unto him, Take a bow, and he took uh, uh, unto him a bow and an arrow. And he said, to the king of Israel, put thy hand out <clears throat> upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hand 
upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord, uh, of the Lord's uh, deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek until they have uh, consumed them. <clears throat> and he said, Take the arrow, take the arrows. Uh, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite them, uh, smite upon the ground. Uh, and he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, uh, Thou shouldest have smitten five uh, or six times. Uh, then uh, thou hast smitten Syria till thou uh, hadst consumed it. Whereas thou smite Syria but thrice. And verse 20, And Elisha died. And they buried him. So <clears throat> here we see a lesson that Elisha is trying to communicate to the king. The king makes a critical error when he's in, in verse 14 and, and he, he, he gets down on his face and he cries for, uh, for the loss of Elisha. And the implication is that he believes that the blessings upon Israel are now gone with the death of Elisha. Does that make sense? Okay. What is wrong with that? Anybody other than my wife? It's not about Elisha. Exactly. He had put all of his hope in a man and instead of God. And Elisha has to teach him a lesson. Now, the, 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 the bow and arrow is symbolic of personal involvement in the victory that God is going to take place. Uh, uh, <clears throat> we saw uh, Elisha prophesy that God was going to take care of the battle and it's the um, I'm trying to think of the prophet now who said it. I can't remember. Anyway, doesn't matter. He said he said the um, man. I am just totally blanking here. Uh, he said the battle is the Lord's. Remember, and and he said he said you don't have to do anything. You send out your singers, and 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 the king of Israel Jehoshaphat sent out the singers. And the battle was won by God. They, they, the enemy turned on each other. They killed each other until every man was dead. Israel did not have to lift a finger. But the picture here is that, hey, the bow and arrow, <clears throat> it's going to take some involvement on your part, but God will bring the victory. And way too often, there are times in our lives where God will bring victory in our lives, but one of two things happens. One, we sit back and do nothing and expect God to do everything, or we try and do everything and push God out of the way. And the picture here is the two work together. 
It is God bringing the, the, the deliverance, but you, you still have to go fight the enemy. Because the battle is real, and the enemy is real in our lives tonight. We are studying on Wednesday night the, the, the struggle that takes place in our minds with wrong thinking. And the, the battle, literally the battle that takes place in our minds. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, uh, For though we uh, walk in, uh, in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and to every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And verse 17, Elisha is reminding him of the Lord's deliverance. Look at verse 17. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And then he said, the arrow of what? The Lord's deliverance. See, we cannot do it on our own. What an incredible picture. And this, this king was so, had put all of his trust in Elisha. And, and Elisha is about to die and he's, and he's beside himself. And he's like, what are we going to do? And Elisha, in his very last act, is trying to teach this king, it's not about me. It's about him. Let me ask you, what do you trust in tonight? One of my favorite verses, and I, I, I quote this verse to myself often, and, and on the surface, you may think, wow, that's a weird verse, but it's an incredibly important verse. Uh, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What are you trusting in? See, <clears throat> the king was trusting in Elisha. He wasn't trusting in, the, in, in God. Some trust in, in, in horses and some in chariots and some in the name of the Lord. What are we trusting in? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. King Joash seemed to have made some good choices, but he makes a really critical mistake. In verses 18 and 19, he takes the arrow. Elisha's laying, laying there on his deathbed, and he, and, he, and he says, here, take the bow and an arrow, and he, and he tells him to shoot, and he shoots, and then he, he gives him the rest of the arrows, and he says, now take these arrows and hit them against the ground. And we, we don't know what was going through the mind of the king at the time, but he had to have understood the significance of what Elijah was trying to teach him here. Because he takes the arrows and he hits the ground with the He says, hit the ground with them. And he takes them and he hits the ground. How many times? Three times. 
But then, let, let's, let's read it. <clears throat> Verse 18. And he took the arrows, and he took them, and he said uh, uh, unto the king of Israel, smite the ground, and he smote the ground thrice and stayed. The word stayed there literally means to get to a point. So, again, we have to assume that the king understood what Elijah was trying to teach the king or, or, or show the king because the word stayed means it, 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 it gives an uh, understanding that um, uh, it, it was... It, the word stayed has a sense of purpose, if you would. So it wasn't just boom, 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 okay, I'm done. It's like one, two, three, okay, that's enough. You, you see the difference? He got to the point where he, he stayed. He's like, okay, three times is enough. But Elisha gets mad at him and he says, no, you should have hit it five or six times. You should just keep because the enemy needs to be destroyed. How can we apply that picture in our lives? Anybody? It's, it's a picture of destroying sin in our lives. We shouldn't be happy with just, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, and quit. No, get it out of your life. Utterly destroy it. Don't, don't, Say, okay, well, I'm better today than I was last week. I'm good. I don't have to work at it anymore. No, that's not, that is not the point. The point is to destroy sin because if you don't destroy sin, what's going to happen? Sin's going to destroy you. And the picture, that's why the prophet got upset. He said, why'd you stop? Destroy sin. Hate sin. The king, by only hitting the ground three times, was limiting the scope of the victory that God was going to do in his life. And way too often, as we struggle through life, we are content with the status quo. We are content coming to church. As long as, as, long as we can come to church and do our religious duty and walk through and do the things that we need to do, then Satan's going to leave me alone. I'm going to leave him alone. I can live my life. Everybody's happy. No, that's not what the prophet's trying to teach him. Satan is out to destroy. You need to destroy. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, Stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth and having the, on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to uh, quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications of the saints. Paul said the exact same thing. Be prepared to fight. This is not this is not a of a a this is a fight. We need to be prepared to fight. And then I want to close to point number three very quickly, short short point here. The influence of Elisha. The influence of Elisha. Verse twenty one, and it came to pass. Uh, or or, um, uh, verse 20, excuse me. Uh, And Elisha died and they buried him and uh, the band of Moabites invaded uh, the land and at the coming uh, in of the year and it came to pass as they were burying a man uh, that behold, they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha And when the man was uh, let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on on, on his feet. Now, if that ain't influence, I don't know what is. Okay, this is the picture. They these 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 foreigners, the Moabites, had come in and they had invaded, and obviously one of their men was killed in the battle. And they were going to bury him, but there was some people coming, so they just threw him in the tomb of Elisha. And what happened as soon as he touched the bones of Elisha? Boom. I, you know, it's one thing to be the guy who just woke up, okay? But I, I always felt sorry for his buddies. Can you imagine what they were thinking? I mean, the you know, the guy who was dead, you know, he comes alive, but the other guys that were with them, I mean, they were, it's a miracle. They all didn't die. That's influence. As I pondered the power that Elijah must have, Elisha must have possessed in his life, it, it, it must have been a phenomenal power that only he could have. Did you hear what I just said? That's not true. The same power that Elisha had access to, you and I have access to. Think about that. Say, but wait a second, Pastor. There's no way that that I could I could be so close to God that when I die, if somebody who's dead touches me, they'll come back to life. There's no way that that could happen. Well, I disagree. And I want to challenge you. Why don't you try? 
Live your life like Elisha and see what kind of influence you can have in the lives of those around you. Because we can, we can influence incredible generations if we will only walk with God. How did Elisha... Oh, you say, but wait a second. No, 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 no. That power God gave to Elisha back when Elijah was taken up in the fiery chariot. Is that true? I don't believe it is. I believe the power that Elisha died with was the, was the power that Elisha lived with. And the same power that raised that Moabite from the dead, we have access to as well. Think about it. Elisha decided that he was going to make a difference. He decided that he was going to be salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt had lost its savor, <clears throat> wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and, be, uh, and, and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We read this story and we and we hear you know we, we read the story and we and we just go wow man that is so cool and it is but it didn't happen by accident that kind of power was prayed down and it was lived in the life of the prophet as we conclude our study of Elisha and Elijah, I want to challenge you with, with, a, with a thought. Elisha and Elijah both left legacies, did they not? You know, in a sense... The bones of Elisha are still affecting people today. Think about this. The life of Elijah, calling down fire from heaven, the big showman, all the, 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 the exotic things that he did. And then Elisha comes along, the quiet man who just kind of does what he does and the power of God goes through him. Their bones are still affecting people today. My question to you is this, as we close. What kind of influence is your life going to make on the next generation? What kind of influence is your life going to make tomorrow if you were to drop dead tonight what kind of influence would your life be on your family what kind of influence would your life be on on your 
on the, the next generation of your family and the next generation and so on and so forth. Elisha and Elijah are still affecting people today. And at the beginning of the service, I talked about, about men that have influenced my life. And I praise God for that. And I'm here to tell you, Pastor Ranspot, his life is still affecting people today because he poured his life into me. And I know he poured his life into other people. My goal is to pour my life into people that I, that I have influence to. And the goal is, the way my little pea brain works, the more people I can pour into, the more influence I can have in their lives. And we can all then run to the cross. As Paul says, you know what? I haven't figured it all out. But this one thing I know. Forgetting those things which are behind, I'm pressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Let's just all run to the cross.